Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Among the disastrous consequences of the synoptic thesis of the Gospels is the erasure of each individual author's intent. Is there a generalized parable of the rich man that happens to appear in Matthew? Or is there a teaching of Matthew that retools the parable to say something different than the other Gospels? If we assume a generalized parable, we blind ourselves and shut our ears to Matthew's account of the teaching of Jesus Christ. God forbid. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 to 23. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 339 of the Bible as Literature podcast. By now, all of us must understand the importance of submitting to the text and paying close attention to the most subtle turn of phrase in the Bible. Last week we talked about, and we continually try to emphasize, the dismissal of the synoptic thesis. You cannot say that there is a parable of the little children from the synoptic gospels, or a parable of the ruler or the young rich man from the synoptic gospels, and try to explain how one writer knew he was a ruler, the other thought he was rich. You can't play that game. You have to assume that you're dealing with literature, and word choice and changes in phraseology are intentional for a purpose. And here in the Gospel of Matthew, not only does the context of chapter 18 and 19 set the tone, for the discussion of the one who approaches Jesus about eternal life. But the phraseology turns the parable on its head for a different purpose. We tend to think about an abstract parable of the rich man. When we do that, we do level out distinctions, and we even see that in the manuscript tradition. If you look at the competing manuscripts of this passage in Matthew, some of them look a lot like Mark and some of them look original to Matthew. So it looks like there was even an early, early hand that was leveling out these different parables because it's natural for us to do. The other thing is, you and I were talking about this at the beginning, what is left to say about this dang passage? And then once you and I started reading carefully in the tradition of the Bible is Literature podcast, all of a sudden, like, oh, I hadn't noticed this. Oh, I hadn't noticed this. And sure enough, one of the things that you noticed, Father, was that this emphasizes what good thing do I do? And then it occurred to me that this falls clearly in line with the struggle with the Pharisees versus Jesus and Peter versus Jesus, who are trying to figure out what the limits of their responsibility are, as opposed to where their duty lies next. You know, just like a kid who goes and cleans his room says, Mom, I'm done. I clean my room. 
instead of saying, Mom, I did what you wanted. What do you want now? And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. I love this turn of phrase. Switching from calling Jesus good and being scolded that no one is good to doing what people tend to do in modern discourse and refer to the action as good. We try to play down the individual by saying, oh, it's a good action, or we flip it around and say, hate the sin, not the sinner. But in Matthew, we are exposed as self-righteous when we talk this way. Because when you determine that something is wicked, it's still self-referential. You can't say an action is good. You can only obey and submit to the commandment. Anything beyond the act of obedience to the commandment is self-righteous. I mean, you and I, Father, were talking about this yesterday. So many people, and they've inherited this secular way of thinking, which is, my will has to find the good thing to do. And it really comes down to the ability of my will to discern what is good and what isn't good. The true biblical way of understanding what the good thing is, is to follow God's will. Because God, as Jesus is saying here, God is the only one that is good, therefore his will is good, therefore if you do what he tells you to do, then you know you're doing the good thing. But you don't have any discernment to do other than say, I'm not following my own ego, I'm going to follow the ego, which is God. By following God's ego, then you know that you're doing the right thing. Then you know you're doing the good thing. But you better know what Scripture is saying, because Scripture is where God reveals his will to human beings. The other point is Matthew does not refer to this person as a rich man or a ruler. He's just a guy. When people keep coming back to get themselves off the hook by using this passage, they usually refer to a rich man or a ruler, and that way it's like, well, I'm not that rich, so I don't have to do what this guy does. I'm not a ruler, I don't need to do what this guy does. But here, it's just a guy, which means any one of us can fall into this category. It's just a guy going to the monastery to ask the abbot a question and getting a very uncomfortable answer. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Shall I repeat them for you? They are repeated several times in the Torah, and I want to make sure that not only you, but every Gentile in the church in late antiquity is reminded of this list, and therefore reminded of their gross inadequacy, because as surely as I read this list of commandments, surely there is someone in the room who has to raise their hand and say, oops, that one's on me, Jesus. How many times must I repeat my father's will? I mean, you can tell right off the bat that this ruler is all about getting himself off the hook because Jesus said, we'll do the commandments. And what's his response? Which? I like the first five of the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? I like the even ones of the Ten Commandments. I don't like the odd ones as much. So, Jesus, is it okay if I just do the even ones of the Ten Commandments or should I do the first five? 
or only the prime numbers? This is the most bizarre thing. Which of the commandments do I do? He just said that God is good. So why would you try not to do any of his commandments? So Jesus goes all basic on him and says, the Ten Commandments. He just repeats the Ten Commandments, then throws in, love thy neighbor as thyself. Following what you said a moment ago, Father, there is one of you who's done something along these lines. Don't forget that back in 5 and 6, Matthew, through Jesus' mouth, defined what murder is and what adultery is. The Pharisee among us would say, well, murder is murder, and adultery is adultery. It's very clear. Whereas Jesus muddied the waters a lot back in the Sermon on the Mount because he didn't make murder end at the limit that you thought of as murder. It went on to any wicked word you would have to say about your neighbor. And adultery is any wicked thought you would have about another person. Jesus, already from his very first sermon, was taking the commandments and expanding their scope. And here's this guy who follows in Peter's footsteps, who followed in the Pharisees' footsteps of trying to close the scope, trying to narrow the scope of what was required of him. But Jesus says, the one who is good, just do his will. There is no ladder to climb. There is no status to be achieved. You're at the bottom rung if you're under the authority of the one who is good. And that's it. You can't earn the kingdom. It is not something up for grabs or for purchase in the marketplace, as Paul teaches us in Galatians. We were redeemed in the marketplace. We were purchased. We have no agency to barter with the master over his provision. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. I'll just say here that the old adage the bigger they are, the harder they fall, is applicable. Because the news of the kingdom is the news that only one is holy, only one stands out from the crowd. If you have acquired property, you are staking a false claim on the property of God, and you are asserting yourself as important or as having more than others or putting yourself above others using something that doesn't belong to you. So the good news, or as Father Paul likes to say, the news of the gospel is not good news for you because suddenly you're no different than a homeless man if you submit to the Torah. That's the news. There is always more that you need to do, and you're always going to get a command coming after that command. You know, any slave knows that, their rest depends on the will of their master. I mean, that's it. They don't rest when they want to rest. They rest when they're allowed to rest, when it is the will of their master to let them rest. And they like the master who allows them to rest, and they don't like the master who doesn't allow them to rest. But either way, you rest when the master says it's time to rest. Now here, the young man says that he did all these things. All right, so he already checked these boxes. So what do I still lack? And this is the fatal flaw because everyone lacks 
because no one has carried out God's will completely except for Jesus who carried out God's will all the way until his death. But this was only known and determined after he died. If this young man, like any of us, wants to do God's will, we are under command until our death. There is no limit to what we are commanded to do. We are commanded 24-7 every moment of the day to continue in this will. He was expecting to be told how far he would have to go till he didn't have to go any farther, and he knew that once he hit that, he would be done. This is like when you're working out. Okay, I only have 20 seconds left. I only have 10 seconds left. Okay, only 10 reps left. Only 5 reps left. Then I know I'm done. Jesus is that horrible master who says 10, 9, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8 more push-ups, 7 more push-ups, 7, 7, 7. This is how Jesus responds, and it's torture. you got to keep doing push-ups until he says it's time to stop. I hate to break it to everyone, but if you're a Christian, you're not good enough, and you'll never be good enough, so stop looking for affirmation or recognition. You will not find it in the pages of the Bible. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We've had so much fun with this in other Gospels, in previous episodes, I think one year we even drew a picture of a tiny needle <laughs> and a giant camel with an arrow giving instructions, insert camel here. <laughs> so the disciples get it. I want to make sure that our listeners get it. It's not possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Please don't start having a crisis about your silly secular argument regarding socialism and capitalism. It's not germane here. It doesn't matter. It's like the Red Scare in the 50s, suddenly everyone was concerned about John Chrysostom being a communist, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because communism was non-functional at the time of his preaching. But still, we have to make the point, yes, it is impossible if you've acquired wealth and power. You can't enter the kingdom because in the kingdom there is only one power. That is the point Jesus is making. However, through God's instruction, even the powerful can be laid low and made to submit and to give up their power and their wealth and their acquisition and lay it at the feet of the apostles as we hear in Acts. It is possible but only through God's commandment. If we obey the commandment, we give it all up, and it becomes God's provision for his purpose. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.